Today on Garnet and Great. One of the first things that I've walked away from Florida State with was how much being a team player meant. You show up ready to play every day and you play well, but you play your position in harmony with other people. And if you don't care who gets the credit, a lot of great things can happen. Our generation were tough as 18 acres of garlic. You know, we were tough. Back in the day, nobody questioned the toughness and hard-tackling determination of FSU's defense. Today, two players tell the story of how Seminole defenders set the standard, beginning in the 1960s. I'm Johnny Crow, and I played flanker and safety at Florida State from 1965 through 1968. I also co-authored the book, FSU Sons of the 60s, A Case for the Defense, with fellow teammate and All-American linebacker Dale McCullers. I'm Dale McCullers. I played at Florida State University for the Seminoles. 1965-1969 under the leadership of Coach Bill Peterson. I was an NEA All-American in 1968, was drafted by the Dolphins, and played four seasons in the pros. There's nothing wrong with FSU's defense that a couple of guys like John Crow and Dale McCullers couldn't fix. Sure, they lack the hype and recruiting stars of today's players, but John and Dale were a two-man wrecking crew, combining for over 250 unassisted tackles. What made them different than today's players? Size, of course, speed, attitude, and... I think the main thing was we were taught to be tough, you know? We didn't get fatigued because, you know, a game was nothing compared to practice back then. It was kind of a... A good thing to play a game, you could relax and just enjoy all the preparation you've done in the week before. We went through a lot together. Uh, one of the things we did was pre-spring, which was a very, it's now become what uh, our new coach calls his boot camp. Our spring practices were tougher than any game. There were some games that were tougher than others, like the Florida game. I remember 1968, it was like, 96 degrees, but it was 110 on the field because they had AstroTurf on the field at that time. I lost 17 pounds in that one game. So we didn't have TV timeout. You know, you went and you played and you, you endured. What I'm trying to say is, where is the intensity? Where is the mental toughness? And where is the true grit? Well, the game is so much faster and... um we were just in the period or the era when the, they started putting the ball in the air. Um, teams were ran the ball a lot more than they th- threw it back then. You might remember that we, we were one of the first teams that didn't have to um, play both ways because 1963 they changed the rules, but 64 we still had some platoon football. You guys had some of the best Florida State defenses in the program history, you know. Like uh, 1967, your defense gave up a stingy 265.5 yards per game. That's rushing and passing. And against a schedule including Alabama, NC State, Texas A&M, South Carolina, Florida, and Virginia Tech. I think we were more aggressive in the KISS formula, keep it simple, stupid. We had a basically 5-4 defensive lineup, and uh, we blitzed a lot on third down played aggressively on the run on the first and second down. And we didn't have a lot of schemes, you know. Uh, 
is basically man coverage or zone coverage. Most of the kids that were recruited were uh, offensive players. There were 14 quarterbacks on my freshman team out of the 50-plus kids on the freshman team. 14 of us were high school quarterbacks. Kids in high school today even specialize on defense. And so that's led to a kid that when he comes to college, he's he's ready to play defense. He's not starting off on offense and then being converted to defense because they've got the offensive positions field. I think that's what's made it much more like um, a business than it was when we played. So, so many of these kids specialize in a position. If they're good at it, they know they're going to get a chance possibly to play in the pros. Most of the kids I played with, uh, they were there to get the education. They knew that's what they were going to have to have if they were going to be successful in their career after. So a lot of players were not driven by wanting to be a pro player. Money was not a factor. You just enjoyed the team spirit, the camaraderie. Uh, pay to paying players to play. We, we got $15 a month for laundry. Most of all, you were playing for your family, for your school spirit, your girlfriend, uh, those kind of things. Again, I go back to the kids are bigger and stronger. The weight program we had when I was in college, uh, they do that in high school today. But mainly it was free weights. And, of course, in the summer, most of us players were poor. We come from families, middle class and lower caste family. We, we got strong lifting cows and tobacco bales, you know. We had starting defensive tackles that weighed 204, 205. Harvey Zion weighed about 204. So kids are much bigger today. Um, Coach Pete used to put five pounds uh, in the program more than we weighed. Some of the weights that I, I remember looking at a program and it said I weighed 175. <laughs> I didn't weigh 175 till I was 30 years old. <laughs> I remember Coach Bowden saying that he put his best players on defense because if you can't score, you can't win. And that was our attitude. We're not going to let you score. If you do score, it's not going to be frequent. So I, I question, I really question the discipline on defense and the aggression. We were taught to be aggressive, not violent, but aggressive. So who were the Magnificent Seven and the Forgotten Four that you refer to on the cover of your book? The Magnificent Seven were the front line and the linebackers, defensive line linebackers. Uh, they got nicknamed by one of the coaches, uh, they shaved their heads to make a statement of unity on the line. And he said, well, let's uh, got a little Yul Brenner persona. And so he nicknamed them the, the Seven Magnificents. And then the defensive backs said, well, what about us? And they said, well, you're the forgotten four. But that defensive team, if you go to nofan.org and look up their statistics, uh, there's probably not been a, a better defensive performance uh, by 11 players in Florida State history. And they were just, they would have had uh, four straight shutouts. They had their first victory over the University of Florida. If you remember, Florida really didn't want to play Florida State back then. But that was the first time we beat Florida uh, in 1964. And they had a young quarterback, a sophomore named Steve Spurrier. So that was a very special team. They went on to beat Oklahoma, our first big, big time win over a major uh, school in the Gator Bowl really beat them pretty bad. Um, I think Blitnikoff scored four touchdowns. So that was a special uh, team, and that's what really made us want to focus on defense because, uh, as our book points out, very seldom as a team get to national prominence if they don't have a good defensive squad. 
And Dale, it's amazing, but more than 50 years after you played for FSU, you still hold some of the individual defensive records, like 29 tackles in one game against Texas A&M in 1968. Right. I had the distinction of the record holder at 26 tackles uh, in FSU history in one game. And then a couple of games later, I broke my own record with 29 against Texas A&M. You're still number two in all-time single-season tackles, 180, and that's one short of 181 set by Aaron Carter in 1977. And to have a record stand for over 50, 54 years now, pretty big deal for me personally. But uh, I hope it's broken against Florida. And unofficially, because they just don't include this category, but according to newspaper accounts back then, you had the most tackles for a loss, and that's six in a game versus Memphis in 1967. The record, I think I'm most disappointed that no one remembers, because that was tough to do that. Memphis State was running the option, the quarterback option, where they'd go down the line and pitch to the halfback or the quarterback could keep it. And we had a technique, a blitz technique, on the outside of the end. The end would crash down, and I blitzed to the outside where he left the void. Uh, Six times I met the quarterback two or three yards in the backfield. So do you think your values and your lifestyles were all that different than today's? We grew up under the tutelage of our parents who were the uh, greatest generation. You know, Tom Brokaw's book on the greatest generation. Our parents, you know, endured the World War II and the uh, Great Depression and they earned every every penny they ever made through hard work, and your your word was your bond, and uh, you just looked up to adults and respected them. So we had that kind of feeling and training going into uh, into our football discipline. Well, I think it was a simpler time back in the Al Gore hadn't invented the internet yet, so we didn't have all these uh, fancy little gadgets that we occupied our time. So we were we were together most of the time. We didn't have headsets and listen to music. Uh, I think it was a lot easier to be a, a part of a team because you depended on your teammates. We didn't have uh, Twitter or Facebook that we could get in trouble with putting stuff online that maybe needed to be thought about before you pressed the button. So we didn't have that complexity. And who was Johnny Stevens Jr.? Johnny Stevens was the center on uh, the team. My, my sophomore year, he was a senior, 1966. Johnny played uh, Leon High School right there in Tallahassee. He played every down of offense his senior year, including the long snap and snapping for extra points. Didn't miss one play. He was a tough kid, only about 195 pounds, always wore a smile, was a great teammate. Um, he was our the only player on our team that uh, gave his life for his country in Vietnam. Johnny died in 1969, April of 1969, was out on patrol leading his squad and was uh he was a second lieutenant was shot and killed instantly in an, in a firefight um so that's who Johnny was and that's who we dedicated the book to and he's got a name scholarship we've raised enough money with the book through donations and people purchasing our book to get it to the point where we're uh, over 50% funded on a name scholarship for Johnny So, guys, when you think back to your teams in the 60s, what do you miss the most? I guess I miss most of all players that you become so bonded to that you can know what they're thinking during the game. 
You know if they're having a good game or a bad game. You know what motivates them. You know them in and out because you spent time with them in extreme circumstances. One thing about playing on a team is um, it really builds uh, that bonding. Dale's like a brother to me today. Not only we play together, but once you write a book with somebody, you really, you really become uh, brothers. John and Dale's book, FSU's Sons of the 60s, is available from Amazon, among other places. And if you're a diehard Seminole fan, you're curious about the roots of this program. Like, who were the founding fathers? And how did FSU go from obscurity to a national power, seemingly overnight? John and Dale's book, along with this podcast, help tell that story. Garnet and Great is produced by Rich Holton. FSU class of 71. Thanks for listening. Until next time, go knows.